Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. This is a place, this is a spot for Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. This is episode 337 of the podcast. Good to have you here as we take a deep dive into mindset, self-persuasion, negotiation, and some sales hacks today. Some things you could be doing just to be better in sales, persuasion, motivation, influence, negotiation. Again, we all persuade for a living. Parents, teachers, leaders, managers, this is a spot to get a few more tools because the more tools in your persuasion toolbox, the more success and income you're going to have. Even better relationships. As you can tell, I'm passionate about this topic because they didn't teach me in school. All this money on a college degree and a graduate degree? Come on, people. Oh, I learned some good things, but it's the soft skills that's 85% of your success. That's what we'll be covering today. We'll talk about it. But first, hope everyone's doing well, having a good week, getting out to the sunshine, some fresh air. I did quite a few webinars this week, it's slowing down just a tad. Hopefully the live stuff will kick back in. We'll see. I'll keep you posted, especially since I'm scheduled to go to the Middle East. We'll see if that even happens. All right, let's kick off the geeky weekly scholarly article. This comes from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, Professor Emma Levine and University of Chicago. Basically, if you're prone to feel guilty, then you're probably trustworthy. Hmm. Well, they go on to talk about that your mother was right. Guilt is a powerful motivator. That's probably not the best, but it can be powerful. But it can quickly turn into manipulation. We won't go there for this one. But they found out at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business that when it comes to predicting who is most likely to act in a trustworthy manner, one of the most important factors is the anticipation of guilt. So this is used to figure out, all right, can I trust this person? And remember, trust is at an all-time low. Credibility is at an all-time low. 20 years ago, I trust you. Give me a reason not to. Now it's, I don't trust you. Give me a reason to trust you. But they said, if we can find this guilt in people, that we can trust them more. That one of the key findings is that when someone feels that guilt, it's because they're more trustworthy. So one of the study's key findings was a person's tendency to anticipate feeling guilty. They call this guilt proneness, is a strong predictor of how trustworthy that person is, more so than the variety of other personality traits, because they looked at extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. So they found that guilt proneness differs from guilt. So you feel guilt after doing something wrong, and you want to repair that, but guilt proneness is the anticipation of guilt after potential wrongdoing. You avoid doing something wrong or transgressing in the first place because you don't want to feel that guilt. So people who rank high in guilt proneness feel a greater sense of interpersonal responsibility when they are entrusted, and they're less likely to exploit the trust others place in them. So just the anticipation of feeling guilty, that guilt proneness, causes them to be more trustworthy because you know they're not going to go against you. It's not 100%, but that's what the study found out. In fact, they did six studies where they set up these economic games and surveys to measure trustworthy behavior and intentions, and individuals who scored high in the personality trait of guilt proneness returned more money to others 
than individuals who scored low in guilt proneness. So just that anticipation of guilt, they don't want to feel that way, means they're more trustworthy. So they state the obvious that trust and trustworthiness is critical for any relationship, any organization, and I'm going to add any persuasion, influence, or sales. And when we put trust in the wrong place, it costs people and organizations a lot of money. So their findings are going to say that fine people that tend to feel guilty before it even happens, before they've done anything wrong, and they are more likely to keep your trust. So one final thing the research suggests that if you want your employees to be worthy of trust, make sure they feel personally responsible for their behavior and try to find out if they expect to feel guilty for doing anything wrong, any wrongdoing. Kind of interesting factor on trust and how people feel. Trust is low. It is. And trust is the glue that holds everything together. I can teach you all the persuasion tools in the world, but it's very difficult if they don't trust you and even if they don't like you. Now, likability is a factor we can deal with if they don't like you, but trust is a huge one to where they're always looking for something wrong. They're always looking for the lie. They always think they're being deceived. And when that happens, it's very difficult to persuade and influence. So I'll post that at MaximizeYourInfluence.com if you want to get a little more research on that. MaximizeYourInfluence.com is also the place to ask me questions, get the free edition, the new edition of Maximum Influence, take your free Persuasion IQ assessment, and get more info on the advanced tools course called Influence University. So that's our housekeeping. Let's go into the Persuasion Blunder of the Week. Don't, don't, don't! Now, some of you might disagree with me on this one because there's a lot of great persuasion tools being used here, but it's very high lactose, very cheesy, and I'm going to add very unethical. But again, any persuasion technique I teach you, you can use for great good or great evil. When I did research for laws of charisma, I did realize even with that skill of charisma, I mean, that's the magic ingredient. When you're charismatic, people want to be around you. They want to be influenced by you. They want to recruit others to be influenced by you. I noticed, and as you already know, that skill of charisma around the world, if you look at history, has been used for great good, changed lives, improved the world, but it's also been used for great evil and destroyed people and destroyed other countries. It's neutral, just like gravity. Gravity is neither good nor bad. Well, it's good when you're walking bad when you're falling from a tree, but it's a neutral thing. It's how you use it. So you decide on this one. Maybe you think, well, like, hey, that's good use, but do the ends justify the means? So this is what happens. This actually happened to my daughter walking around the mall as a 15-year-old, two 15-year-old girls walking around the mall, and they are approached by a good-looking guy, which is always flattering to a 15-year-old girl. Well, it's flattering to anybody when someone comes up and says, hey, are you guys models? Wow, that would be a boost to the self-esteem. That's a lot of esteem. Like, well, you're not. You should be. Hey, do you want to be? So not only did they boost the esteem, some compliments, some praise, they built a vision, created some involvement about wanting to becoming an actress. But what do you know? Hey, we've got a studio up north, and Disney's coming to the area, and they're looking for local peoples to be in this movie. Oh, build up some excitement. They talked about income, what's in it for them. You need to come by for a casting call. <laughs> so they're hitting quite a few of the laws of persuasion. They get there, and of course... They've got to get my phone number because a parent has to come. I'm like, oh, geez, I'll come. I don't have time for this. And I kind of prepared my daughter what was going to happen. Like, I'll do some research. We'll see if they're any good. And it was good for them to verify the parent's going to be there. They're the decision maker, and they're the ones with the credit card. Huh? Credit card? 
So the date approaches and they verified that we were both coming and that if I was the decision maker, that I would be there the whole time. Right? They have to verify that because if the teenager shows up, it's a waste of time because they're after my wallet after the credit card. We come in, it was a nice place and seats around and all over the walls were pictures of young actresses. Some you recognize, some you didn't. So that would be social validation, stars on the wall, empty spot for you to go next, of course. There was a warm greeting. They were nice, good looking. They gave us each some water. That would be the law of reciprocity and obligation. They said, hold on when you go to the back room. And of course, they were in the back room talking very loud about the new star they found. And they just got them into a new movie and how much money they were going to make. And they were just cast and how their life was going to be different. Again, social validation. Hey, if others can do it, I can do it. Get yourself in the zone. And then there's this casting they did without the parent there. And I found out later it was this very emotional situation where you had to pretend to tell them they were your best friend and you were dying into this illness and to get emotional and start to cry. Hello, triggering emotions. People are used to persuade in an emotional state than a logical state. So they got them out of the logical state and then they went through it. They watched the video and of course coaches come in. Wow, there's a lot of potential we have a special class. We think we get you casted. We just have to fine-tune a few things. And, of course, this class is thousands of dollars. And I'm like, oh, I knew that one was coming. And, of course, here comes the contract. And, you know, there's a lot of people interested. Uh, scarcity. And I've got to sign it today. Scarcity and urgency. But wait a minute. High cheese factor. I'm like, this is a pretty thick contract. I need my lawyer to take a look at this. Oh, no, they said. We have to have this done now. If you have to think about it, you're obviously not the right type of material. And, your daughter will be left out of the class because the class is starting soon and there's only one spot left, uh, scarcity, but cheesy. And I said, I can't let my lawyer look at this. Oh no, we've got to do this now. We've got to make a decision. We've got to do this. And it was high pressure, high guilt. Luckily, I had inoculated, prepared my daughter what was going to happen. And it was pretty textbook what did happen. And she wasn't too upset. She kind of wanted, they were pushing her buttons, a lot of self-esteem. I'm calling it high lactose, very cheesy. That's the blunder. I mean, they use some laws of persuasion, but the ends, the cheesiness, that bad scarcity, knowing that if I ever left, I would never come back, that happened. There's your homer. Don't do that. Don't be Mr. or Mrs. High Lactose Cheesy using it in the wrong way persuasion person. And that brings us to listener email. Oh, boy. This is from Jade from Toronto, and for using your email on the show, you get... Access, free access to Influence University. And of course, there is a free area, but this is the gold access you get for free. If you want to learn about the 10 blunders or mistakes that are costing millions of dollars, that's a great place to get started. So Jade from Toronto, Canada. Hey, I'm enjoying your program on sales hacks. Thank you, Jade. And for those listening, I'll put a link to that too. These are over 100, 111 to be exact, sales hacks. Basically, how you can hack into the human brain. Little things you can do. These are quick Three-minute videos where I talk about the science and how to apply it. Just one a day. Learn something new. Learn something new. But it looks like Jade found an article on some sales techniques he wasn't quite sure of. Wanted to know my thoughts and kind of go through those. Love to do that. See what I agree with, disagree with, and maybe I'm neutral on. I'll also post that link at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. It's brought to us by Peter Daisme and Business2Community.com. 25 sales hacks backed by the experts. Let's take a look at it. Remember, it doesn't matter what you do. We all sell, persuade, and influence for a living. So let's see what we can learn here. 
The first one is know who your ideal client is. Well, okay, well, duh, obviously. Mark Victor Hansen says, grow rich in your niche. Know who your client is. The more demographics, the more research, the more psychographics, the more you can get into their brain. I agree with that. Number two, mirror your prospect. Mirroring is simply mimicking the tone and cadence of someone else, which can be one of many effective sales hacks. Usually, maybe. It's also called, let me add some things to this. It's called isopraxism, and it can work. You're accelerating rapport when you learn to mirror. I don't like the word mimic or mirror, for the example, because it's not exactly mirroring. You might delay it two or three seconds. You might not do exactly what they're doing, but it could be similar. But it is a science that has been proven that it's worked. But here's the thing. When you're on the radar and you're mimicking them and they can see that they touch your face, you touch yours, you lean back, they lean back. They take a drink, you take a drink. Hey, and you break that mirror, it is the opposite effect and it will destroy you. So be careful here. It is a good science. It is a sound science. I think a better term might be a delayed similar mirror. So it doesn't have to be exactly at the same time or exactly what they're doing. But if it's similar and within five to 10 seconds, it is something that can be very persuasive. Again, it's naturally going to happen. You start to mirror people that you have rapport with, but you're just accelerating it by learning to mirror their energy, by mirroring their gestures, by mirroring maybe some of the words that they keep using. There are a lot of aspects here. It's not just body language. Here's one. Set yourself up to be the one who can live without this deal. Basically, it says if you built your business as one that's 100% dependent on client work to stay afloat, you might have a higher risk of being taken advantage of. I'll call this the desperation, blood in the water factor. Hey, in negotiation, we know if you're willing to walk, it can mean a lot and it can tell you a lot because if you're willing to walk and they're willing to walk, maybe it wasn't a good deal, but it does give you a little power to be able to walk. Nothing's worse when people know that you're desperate. You have to make the sale. You have to do the negotiation. You have to have their business. They will screw you. They will take advantage of you. And you have to be very, very careful of that. That's why I tell companies I consult with, it's okay to fire some clients. If, if they're 80% of the work and only 5% of your income, time to fire them, get rid of them. It's not worth the pain. It's not worth the time. And most of the time they come crawling back and they're better clients. Number four, know when to contact your leads. Now this will depend on culture on the day. If they've just called you, try to get back within five minutes. We do know the sooner you get back to them, the better because they're under ether. They just saw your product online. But here's what's interesting. Further research has found the best time to call your leads is between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. or between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. And the best day of the week is Wednesdays and Thursdays tend to be the most effective. Now, there's a variety of different studies there, but I'll go with that. Mondays and Fridays, you always have to be careful of. Lunchtime, depending on the time zone, you'll be careful of that one too. Next one they talk about is stand when you sell, sit when you listen. I'll agree, when you're over the phone, you can stand up a little more energy. It keeps the energy flowing. It raises the momentum. There is something about customer service and standing up salespeople the same way. Any type of negotiation when you can stand up, even when I do a webinar, if I'm not feeling it, standing up, a little more energy, a little more juice goes through the line, through the internet. Now, that would be strange face-to-face -face if they're sitting here standing. That would be a disconnect. That would be breaking the mirror, as I talked about earlier. But when you're not face-to-face, -face, sitting when you listen, taking notes can be a powerful thing. Or face-to-face, -face, sitting is always good, taking notes, showing that you're really listening to them. Treat them like the most important person on the earth. Next one, set unusual meeting times. So most meetings are what, 30 minutes? They say do 25 or do 45. Hell, add to this, let's do 37. Odd numbers are always more persuasive than even numbers. 
yeah, be careful here. I like the 25 minutes. You have to, if you say 25 minutes, it's got to be 20 minutes. If you say, can I have two minutes of your time? It's got to be two minutes. Now you can say two minutes is up. Can we keep going? Be careful here that you manage their expectations of time of the meeting. But also more important, I've noticed, and there are a few studies on this, that whatever you set the time for the meeting to be, that's what the meeting's going to be. So yeah, maybe you don't want that two-hour meeting. Let's start at 30 minutes and see where we can go from there. Next one, nod your head when you talk. So when you nod your head, and they don't say this in the article, but I'm going to say up and down in the yes motion, you feel more positive and more confident. And so when you do that, you appear more confident and more knowledgeable in your audience. And even better than that, let me add to this, when you're going up and down in the yes motion and they start doing it, that means that's a trial close. That means yes, that means they're agreeing with you. You've started the persuasion process. And studies do show if I can get you to go up and down the yes motion, maybe it's a bouncing ball, testing headsets for quality, that yes motion makes you easier to persuade. The no motion makes you harder to persuade. So there is a lot of truth to that one. Next one, use a decoy option. When you're having trouble selling a pricey product or service, introduce a third option. We talked a little about this last week for the geeky article. But the purpose of this decoy is to make the more expensive product or service look more enticing since it's the same price, but it's less enticing. Basically, if you have product A, B, and C, most people buy B, because three is too expensive. Some people gravitate to the most expensive. They say, get rid of A, add a D option. That is the most expensive. Now more people will buy C. That's just how we are. It's how we're programmed. They call it a decoy option. You see this at supermarkets where, oh, wow, soap's on sale. What a good deal. The one next to it is three times more than the one on sale. It just looks better even though it's a decoy. They did that on purpose. Number nine, obvious. We've talked about this. A smile. They mentioned a study done at Penn State found that people who smile appear to be more likable, courteous, and even competent. And we also know it builds trust. I'm going to add it's contagious. It changes your state and it changes their state. We know that one. Other one we already know, ask for referrals. And they mentioned 65% of new business comes from referrals. So most of your business should come from referrals. But here's an interesting statistic coming from Dale Carnegie that 91% of customers say they'd give referrals, but only 11% of salespeople ask for referrals. Do it. Ask for two or three. You'll probably get one. Prove your worth. Set up the expectation ahead of time to get referrals. I've done whole podcasts on this. Go to the archives at influenceuniversity.com. It's free. You can look up referrals. The next one is make one more call. And that's good all the way around. Just before we go home, call it a day, go to lunch, one more call, one more prospect, one more lead. That's always good advice. Also talks about the rule of seven. Basically, that's a marketing thing. That's what I learned in advertising where you need to have seven touches before they really come around to noticing you, wanting to do business with you, understanding what you're doing. Now, it's not always the same touch. You might send an email. It might be a phone call. It could be snail mail. It could be a webinar. It could be a variety of different things, but the more touches, the better. Next one is leverage the power of LinkedIn. I mean, social media depends on the industry, what you're doing, how you use it. Are you educated in it? That's going to depend. Don't just jump on and start attacking people, but there could be some benefits to that. Roll cautiously. Also spend a lot of time talking about the next one, using a person's name multiple times. High cheese, high lactose factor there when you use it way too many times, but MRIs do show it triggers a pleasure center in people's brain and does grab their attention, but it's been so abused and overused by a lot of salespeople, but strategically use it, have a reason to use their name, but don't be the cheesy repeat it 20 times salesperson.
Next one, anticipate objections and practice turnarounds. Well, obviously, all great persuaders and salespeople should anticipate objections. Let me add, pre-solve objections before they happen and practice those objections and those hard questions. And I'd create an objection book or something on your phone to where you can role play and work through it and talk to other people in your industry and see what they do. Absolutely agree with that one. Another one they talked about is familiarize yourself with the primary effect. We've talked about primacy recency before on the podcast, but we know when people are given a sequence of information, it could be numbers, names, features, benefits, whatever it is, we remember most of the things in the beginning and at the end. So they just talk about the primary effect of things in the beginning, but you have to realize the end is important too. Now, if they're not familiar with you, your product or service, your industry, go first. If they're very familiar, go last. It's more persuasive that way because you have the final word. But if they've never heard about it before, go first. And that's important when you're setting appointments. If there's three or four of you, try to go first if you can or last if you can, but try not to be in the middle. One they talk about is get your clients to say no. Careful of that. There's a time and place for that. There's a way to get a no that means yes. We've talked about that before on the podcast. But I want to throw out there, turning a no into a yes is a lot harder than turning a maybe into a yes. So if you're sensing a no, don't let them say no. Just say, well, let me do a little more research. I'll contact you in a month. That could be beneficial. So that would depend on the situation. Be careful of the no. Uh, this one, I don't know. It's been found that top-tier salespeople are early risers. That 76% of them rise before 7 a.m. and 35% wake before 6 a.m. I'll give you a maybe on that one. I'm not an early riser. I think it's more about the amount of sleep anything else, but you know, early to bed, early to rise, maybe try it out and see. Here's one, I agree, support social causes, especially with millennials. They did a study with the American Market Association that 70% of millennials support brands who support the causes that they care about. By becoming a little more socially conscious, your sales can improve overnight. Something to think about. And finally, the words, how can I help? They say these words are a game changer. This was printed in Forbes magazine. And when we ask another person how we can be of service to them, we place ourselves on their side. We become their ally instead of their adversary. So in four words, we've asked our client to share what's most important to them. I liked it. I agree with that. But you need to be careful. If it's something rehearsed, something they're expected, that's when you get, oh, I'm just looking, don't need any help, those type of things. You want to make sure it doesn't sound rehearsed or they're expecting because then you get those knee-jerk reactions. So I hope that helps. A couple of hacks out there you can try and work with that'll make a big difference in your future, your income, your persuasion, your influence, everything that you do. Hey, you can reach me at Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Let me know what you want to hear. Send me your email. Remember, we use your email. You get access to InfluenceUniversity.com. Thanks for yours, Jade. I'll be sending you an email. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, rude remarks, let me know. Send me an email. Hit like, subscribe. We are on... YouTube, check out Maximize Your Influence, where I supersize something we talk about on the show. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeart. Tell your family, friends, and enemies the power of persuasion, how it changes the game for everyone. So take something that you learned today, use it, modify it, apply it, adapt it, benchmark it, and you're guaranteed to persuade with power. <laughs>